looking to learn more on how to build wealth through real estate? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Make Money Make Sense podcast with Dante Belmonte. Each episode, we have the privilege to bring you a professional in the real estate world. One that will help you become a top investor, whether that's a passive role or managing the day-to-day. Let's jump right in. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Glad to see you made it out. Today's guest is DJ Hume. DJ talks about how he started in small single-family properties and his issue with just scaling and how he discovered larger multifamily syndications and how he's able to build that business to what it is today. If you guys are enjoying the show, please take a quick minute to head over to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, write us a review, and if you're not, subscribe to us so you can get up to date when we have new shows coming out. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Dante Belmonte. Today with us, we have DJ Hume with us, a syndicator, Instagrammer, featured top 100 people in real estate, real estate university course. I mean, you name it, this guy's doing all of it. So uh, DJ, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, my man? Yeah, man. Hey, appreciate uh, Dante, you having me here. Um, so as you said, um, yeah, so I got into real estate. Um, I have a syndication business that we started a few years back. Uh, called Prosper Capital Company. Um, and then uh, really just a little bit of background on that is I kind of started from a small uh, $80,000 single family house when I was 22 years old and been able to build it up since that pretty organically. Awesome. Yeah. So you're 27 years old now. Is that correct? Man, I'm getting old. I just turned <laughs> No, turned you're, you're young. And- weeks ago. <laughs> okay, so 27, you got about uh, a little more than 5 million assets under management currently, uh, yeah. through, and that's all through syndication, correct? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, actually a part of that's uh, my personal portfolio when I started in residentials. A lot of those I've just kind of kept on, um, and then as we've got into the apartment business, uh, we've just been added to the portfolio. Sweet. That's awesome. Well, I, today we're going to dive in to see what you're doing, what you've been doing to find success and how others can kind of grab a, a glimpse of that. So talk to you about syndication. So you started in the residential area when you were about 22, like you said, when was the click? When was the, okay, let's go into apartments. Let's go into larger commercial. Like when did that hit and how did that transaction transition happen? Yeah. So, I mean, it probably happened. Uh, so my, my whole goal when I started into real estate was uh, getting one single family residence every year. That was my initial goal. So, uh, I started down that path, uh, probably got three, maybe four years in where I started getting a property every single year. And then I think like my third year, we ended up getting two or three. Um, but I just felt that we were having so much success with that real estate, but every single time I bought one property, I then would have to sit back and wait and I wanted to get more, but I, you know, put all my money towards that property and that right. process, although it was fast, I wanted to do a lot more. So I started to look into other, you know, other niches. What are other people doing? Um, caught, caught my eye on apartments. I originally thought like part apartments were so far out there that I could never do something like that. So started to do a bunch of research, learning about that business. Um, and then got my first uh, apartment building about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, something like that. Awesome. Um, so it was a lot of research, uh, definitely like compared from residential to apartments, 
it's a huge leap, a totally different business. So I, I oh, did yeah. probably about a year, year and a half of research and I probably walked around a hundred apartment buildings before I, I had the, the guts to actually pull the trigger on one. That's great. Okay. So yeah, you made that transition over, you, you decide you want to go for apartment buildings or, or commercial at that rate, we'll say. Were you doing it by yourself? Did you get some partners on board with you? How did that look when you were going around looking at those buildings, looking to lock down that first deal? So on that first deal, um, I was by myself um, with the intention to get partners. But um, whether it was naive of me or not, I kind of had the ambition where I was like, hey, I think I know this good enough that let me first get a deal that's so good. I'll worry about getting the money later. So, right, right. Yeah. So that's what I did. Uh, so I ended up finding a property. It's actually uh, kind of funny. I had a condo that I was living in downtown Cincinnati and um, the apartment building right next to me. Um, I kind of walked out. I think I might've been going to get lunch or something. And there's a real estate agent sitting right there. I didn't know he was an agent at the time. And he was like, Oh, uh, are you trying to see this place? And I was like, uh, no, but, or I, I'm pretty sure I just responded. Yeah. <laughs> just to see what happens. <laughs> yeah. um, and he went and showed me the, showed me the place. And I started asking questions like, yeah, the whole apartment plate buildings for sale. So then started doing a research, doing a bunch of research and, uh, I realized like how good of a deal it was. Um, and I got it under contract. That's great. Okay. So you went ahead and how many units was that building? That one was small. That was, uh, eight units. Okay. Yeah. Now and purchase price on this building roughly was how much? $790,000. Okay. And obviously you didn't have all this capital sitting there ready to purchase on it. So talk to us about that portion because yes, there is the deal finding section that's can be difficult because especially in today's market deals can be few and far between to find a lot of it's off market, but that capital raising aspect. So I'm sure everyone's asking that is capital, 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 how, how to raise capital. How did a guy who, who just did a few residential single family rentals able to raise all this capital to, you know, to close on this building. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I was fortunate enough where I had a little bit of background um, working in the startup world, venture world, where I kind of knew, you know, the pitch deck, if you will. So I kind of knew uh, pitching to investors. So that was helpful for me. Um, although pitching um, uh, a company versus real estate is a significantly different story. Um, but I was at least comfortable with, you know, throwing out a pitch. So basically what I did is underwrit all the, all the property and I did my own uh, basically analysis and all that. And I ran through my deck internally. I had to have done it in the mirror probably 25 times. Oh, I was just okay. finding reasons like what holes could I find within this that an investor wouldn't invest. So, and then ultimately what I did is prior to all that is I was doing, I was telling people, everyone like about real estate and that I was investing in residential. So by that time, a lot of people knew I was in real estate. Um, and so that was helpful. So I was, kind of ahead of the game from that standpoint, letting people know. So once I got this property under contract, you know, anyone in my uh, Rolodex that I had their email of, I sent out this big blast and I was like, Hey, I'm holding this webinar. I got this great property. It's going to be some great returns. Dial in. I want to tell you guys all about it. Um, I probably had, uh, I probably had almost 30 people show up, maybe more. I can't remember the exact number. That's still um, good. Yeah. So it was really good um, to have 30 people show up. The negative is uh, most of them didn't want to invest. Oh. 
So, <laughs> so that was all right. Um, because what ultimately happened was I, we were, I think we needed like $300,000 to put, put together on this deal. Um, and then I put together, including myself, we had five people that ultimately said, yes, I trust you. Um, and thankfully one was my, my mom and dad, you know, so that's, <laughs> that's, that's sweet. That's yeah. great. So they trusted me enough with some of their money to invest alongside me. Um, now I will say this first go around of doing this was, uh, the, let's just say ugly. <laughs> so it's the so learning I, experience property, right? Yeah. So, uh, of course I did a bunch of residential and I thought I knew the process. Like I didn't even know that you had to fill out a PFS. I didn't know what a PFS was personal financial statement, basically you outline how much you're worth. And so I didn't know what that was. I didn't know any of the process. Um, so we're going like down the due diligence process where I have also our investors and it's just a cluster. Um, mm. We brought in the wrong banks and we're getting, and we're supposed to close and we're like two weeks away and the bank keeps saying, yeah, yeah, we're good. We're good. I pay for the appraisal out of my own pocket. Um, and then maybe a week before closing, the bank comes and like, yeah, we're not interested. Wow. So, and real quick, was this a, a syndication joint venture or just really private money you were raising? Like this, this, I, I didn't even know what really how to outline a syndication at this time. Okay. So this was private money uh, where I had silent partners, limited partners. Um, so uh, yeah, this was my first go around with all that. <laughs> so what did um, you do when the bank was just like, yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to not going to put this one for you. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, come to find out, uh, you know, what you don't realize is a lot of banks either invest in multifamily or don't. And apparently this bank was just stringing us along. So, well, <laughs> I first, uh, I first got to go back to the seller and try to convince them to extend the contract. Right. Um, and then, uh, thankfully I kind of talked to them and they trusted me enough. They're like, all right, we'll give you 45 more days. But that's they're it. like, and they're having bets in the background. They're like, yeah, this kid's not going to close. We're keeping that yep. EMD. So sweet. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like <laughs> we're about to take his earnest money. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I got 45 days. Then after that happens, then one of the five investors, one of them drops out out of nowhere. Oh, so I'm like, oh gosh. All right. Just not, I'm like, man, if this is how it goes, apartments are not for me. Right. Um, so, but thankfully, um, I did some networking. I ended up finding one of the, the great like brokers in the area that did it the right way where, at, where we actually went to, you know, 15 different banks. We got term sheets. Nice. We went through that whole process. And that's when I actually learned like the actual commercial process. Oh, wait. So you didn't just, you know, take the first term sheet you got. Yeah. You you went with some other ones. Can I checked it out? No, I I say that sarcastically, but I mean like that's something people need to listen to. How you went and you kind of put these banks up against each other, correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like, hey, this is what I got. You guys want to match it, right? And then it's more of a bidding. Right. Uh, that's great. So that was the true like where I actually understood the you know got the full experience of that process. So fast forward, we end up everything went smooth after we got like, it was, it became four investors. We worked out all that. Everyone was good. We ended up closing on that property after. Is your mom and dad the like one that backed months. out? Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> oh, oh, like I, you know, that, that property has been crushing it. I'm pretty sure I still sent an email to be like, this is what you missed out on. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that it ended up going really smooth the second time around, but, 
man, the first, uh, first 60, 90 days trying to close was, was not a good experience for me. Right. And, and that's your learning experience. And for the listeners that are listening to this, you know, we tell them not to scare them, but to kind of educate them that the, you know, this is what can happen. But you also learned so much that you would have never been able to learn by reading the books, listening to the podcast. So you, you kind of jumped in and did it, which is great. So fast forward to today, mm-hmm. what are you doing differently? What are you seeing results with from what you did before to what you're doing now? Well, I think between now and then, I mean, I've put together processes. I mean, we have so many different processes in place. We have a, a team that only sources deals. Um, now we go direct to seller for the most part. So we have, um, you know, a process in there where we're actually looking at deals. Now we're actually bringing in deals. We have our, um, all our performance and everything on, uh, on our different calculations on what our requirements are and how we're going to add value to each property. We have all that set in stone as far as numbers that we have to meet a minimum of if we're even going to entertain pushing out an LOI or anything like that. So uh, we've been able to put a lot of processes together, but uh, you know, along that is through the smaller properties and bringing on an investor here, some new investors, we've done so well, um, not only from a return standpoint, but communication with our investors that probably for every one investor we bring in, they'll go and bring in, you know, two, three, four friends. Um, so oh, okay. it's been really good with word of mouth. So that helps with the capital raising aspect where you guys don't have to put as much effort forth to raise that capital, go out and get investors. You can focus a little bit more on deal flow, correct? Yep. Yeah, exactly. So I don't really worry too much on the investor side and especially any investor that's been invested with me. Um, so far, hundred percent, everyone reinvests with me too. That's great. Yeah. So but what's that? That's what that is telling us is that your investors are happy. They're getting the returns that you are, you know, predicting for them. They're putting that out and they're going to keep reinvesting with you. So that's great. That means your things are going smoothly on your end. Now you, you keep saying we, so it sounds like you went from doing a, you know, your own thing to teaming up with some other players. What it sounds like. Do you want to talk to yeah. us a little bit about, you know, who's on your team? What are you doing? Um, where you found these partners, so to speak? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, o- over time, I mean, I, I always talk about assembling your team um, and that necessarily isn't someone that, you know, is on your payroll or anything like that. But I have now, you know, five brokers that I'm going to send every deal to, whether it's before I have it in a contract or if I'm thinking about it. Right. So they all know, you know, what I'm looking for. They can give me great advice. So they're really like part of my team in a sense. I have, um, you know, inspectors, like my dad's an inspector, right? He comes and looks at all my properties. I also have other people that inspect my properties under the due diligence phase. So they're a big part of my team. Um, You know, I have, um, I started my own property management company when I got my first property. So now I have managers that, you know, are managing each uh, specific properties. So they're a big part of our team, um, whether that, uh, whether on, on all the deals or not. So I think that over time I've been assembling my team uh, from brokers to agents to our sales team and anyone in between that is along both that sales process, but also the management and exit process. I consider them all to be part of my team. That's great. Okay. And do you have any actual partnerships within your capital raising company or is it just you at the moment? So it's just me at the moment. Um, I actually specifically kind of want it that way. Um, just because I'm not exactly sure, you know, 
it's very younger group uh, just from the standpoint of where we want to go. I don't right. want to inhibit, uh, you know, bringing on partners when our visions aren't aligned. So I actually believe in, although we might may have partners that get in every deal with me, um, I would have, have actually have them invested in that actual asset or that uh, LLC so right. they can stay focused. And then now they're also back. So it's actually protecting them as an investor too. Right. So you, you've kind of got a few businesses then you're looking at up top here. You have like the capital holding company. Then you've got the each LLC for each individual property. And then you got the LLC over here for the property management company. Is that correct? Yep. Exactly. Okay. And when you have investors invest into these deals, are they investing into that particular LLC or are they investing into the capital company? And then so they're they, investing in that specific LLC. Okay. So the, the, what do you use the capital company for? Like the, the holding LLC, is that really just like it said, the holding LLC? Yeah, it's really just from a, a, a branding perspective of this is what our company does up here and we do deals like this. Okay. Um, so it, uh, it really reduces liability, but also keeps them, you know, keeps us laser focused on that property and their right. return. Um, we haven't even started, you know, bringing in multiple deals into one fund yet. Um, just because I think that we, uh, we want to stay laser focused on providing the best returns and giving them, you know, uh, a lot of upside in that specific property. And we don't want to overcomplicate things right now. Right. And I asked that because, you know, some people might think, Oh, one LLC, you can just own everything in that. Well, not really from a lending standpoint, a liability standpoint, we want to, you know, kind of switch those up. So when you're writing up or you're having your SEC attorney write up uh, the documents, the PPM, uh, all that good stuff in that PPM, is it addressed as the LLC that owns that property or is it that capital company? So it's the LLC itself. Yep. Okay. And then other function of that capital company that's up top that oversees everything, or is that just really for branding purpose? That's really uh, like the sponsorship company. That's our okay. sponsor in a sense. So that, uh, you know, Prosper Capital Company is our sponsor that I manage. So uh, depending on how we structure that fund, um, whether it's a waterfall or value add or something like that, where, you know, me and my effort along with Prosper Capital Company, how we're compensated to accelerate that growth and return for our investors. That's great. That's good. And what markets are you currently in right now that you own property in? Um, so all in Ohio um, right now, um, we're looking actively um, in Texas. We're looking at a bunch of properties. We have some LOIs out there. And then uh, we're also looking heavily into like the Southeast market. I really like Florida, South Carolina, Georgia, um, other markets like that. But right now we're solely focused in Ohio and Kentucky. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I. Texas is a big market right now. It's blowing up big. I mean, a lot of syndicators are going out down there because it, it's a booming area. Population growth, job growth is on a steady incline and the returns are there too. So I think that's, uh, it's always cool to hear all the people that are going out there. I can't imagine it's going to become an oversaturated market soon. So it's good to get in, get a deal in there and then let the property appreciate or add value to it as we go. Yep. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm always worried about, uh, like Texas specifically is, uh, known for overbuilding. So I'm a little cautious from that standpoint, especially in right. Dallas and Houston markets, but if you're in a good market where, you know, you can't be out or outbuilt or anything like that, then there's definitely opportunity. Yeah, that's great. So what's your long-term goal with investing in these apartment buildings? Is there a certain dollar amount? under management you're looking to get? Is there a certain amount of unit counts or you just kind of keep going, keep scaling? There's, there's really no finish line for you. 
Um, I would say, I mean, really what I tell all my followers on Instagram and everything, my, my goal is uh, 100 million in assets by uh, 2023, end of the year. And then ultimately, I'd love to be able to be at 1 billion in assets, you know, by the time I, you know, per se retire. But that's my goal. That's sweet. Yeah. And now I believe in the ICR your stuff. So I know you can do it. That's really awesome to hear that you're putting that in perspective and putting that out there for the world to hold you accountable for, you know, <laughs> that's, Absolutely. that's how you make goals happen. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, so are you hands-on managing these properties? I know you said you put property management in place. Are you hiring out certain employees we could say through each property management? Are you asset manager on these deals? How does that look? Yeah. So, I mean, every deal is a little bit different, but right now as we're getting bigger and bigger, um, now we're, now we're really focusing on 70 units or more because that allows me to hire a full-time property manager that can even be on site. Um, so right now we're usually acquiring, you know, employees and then we'll either keep them on staff if they, you know, uh, if they're a good fit for us and our company and our culture, but me also as uh, younger, um, we're looking, we have a lot of investors that, putting their trust in me, um, putting their trust in the asset. So I'm also very hands-on to make sure that, you know, we're meeting uh, or exceeding our goals because a lot of the investments that we're doing right now are value add opportunities. So there's a lot of uh, moving parts in, in that, especially the first 12 months before we stabilize it. That's awesome. And talking about bringing on full-time property management, things like that, typically when we're underwriting deals, when the bank's underwriting deals, when we're predicting growth and cash flow. We usually, depending on the property size, a two to maybe eight to 10% property management fee in there. Being that you are doing in, you're doing in-house management for the most part, are you charging to yourself that percentage fee? Or are you charging more of a flat rate, say uh, an hourly rate for how much that you're accounting for these property managers are working? How does that look? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on the deal. Uh, like some of the first ones that I did, uh, Initially, I said, hey, my property management fee is free until my investors are paid back full. Then I'm going to take uh, a fee for it. Okay. So that was uh, a way to uh, uh, motivate them so that I'm all in to get their money back first before I start taking money. Um, that's so good. that's how, yeah, that's how I structured some of them. Um, a lot of it, our, uh, our management fee is very minimal that I, I probably don't even charge it. And if I do, it's... Uh, on the balance sheet is basically our, our cost just to keep the, you know, the doors open, a software, whatever it is that we're using. Right. Anyone on payroll, correct? Yeah. 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 And I, I see a lot of people doing this where if they have across multiple properties, they're bringing in in-house property management because one, it's going to save you in costs and, and two, you have more control over it. So mm -hmm. something I'm seeing instead of if they have in-house property management, instead of taking out that two to 10% property management fee, they're only taking out the bare minimum because anything you take out and pay to that entity, you know, it's basically your tax on that income. So where you, you keep it yeah. in house and can deduct it um, against depreciation, cost segregation, all that good stuff, you can deduct that cost. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. And, and even when well, I, I don't know, I've just never really had enough good luck with outside managers um, that even if it's an additional cost, I would rather have it in house. Uh, specifically when it comes to turns. I mean, turnover is your most expensive portion in real estate, in my opinion. Yep. And if I can find an outside manager, uh, their turns are probably going to be 20, 30 days to get some, from someone moving out to have that wow. ready and have some. That's a lot. In. 
I mean, it, it, I don't know what the specific industry average is right now, but it's, it's a lot of days where if I'm self-managing it and it's someone, and if it's an employee of mine, then we can probably turn that in, you know, on average for the last year, we've been doing it in three days. That's huge. That's huge for your vacancy occupancy numbers and even your cash flow in that unit. I mean, missing out on a whole month for one unit, that's, that's big. And what if you have five turnovers one month, that's five vacant units out of, let's say oh, yeah. it's your eight unit, not that, that would ever happen, but just to put numbers into perspective for that. It's potentially all your profit on the property. Exactly. And, and it is. So talk to us about value add. What are you doing for value add? Cause I know a lot of people out there, they're coming in, they're doing deferred maintenance. They're, you know, fixing up the roof, fixing up the, the driveway or the parking area, maybe even adding storage or laundry on the property. What are you doing and what do you see that's working for value add? Yeah, I mean, every, every property is different on what it needs, obviously, but uh, everything that we do at the end of the day has to have an ROI to it at the end of the day, or we're not going to do it. So yeah. I need to justify an expense and I need to make sure that our ROI looks good. So on any of our projects that we're doing with value add, we're looking at probably 25% ROI minimum on anything that we're spending, unless it's a necessary cost that we just can't get around, right? If, if there's a leak in the roof, you got to replace it. Um, so other than that, if it's with the property, if we can control it, it has to increase rent in some, some way, shape or form. So for example, let's say with that 25% ROI, you get a property under contract, you do a little bit more research, you say, okay, I can add value here. There is some open grass or some open lot here. I know there's no self storage two miles down the street. The nearest one's maybe three miles. And if I have on property self storage, I can add some value to that. So let's say it costs $10,000 to build X amount of units of, of storage or garage spaces or covered spots there. You, so it's 10 grand. Are you looking to make about $2,500 in that first year on that investment? Is that what you're referring to? Is that ROI? Yep. Yep. So if I can have my money back, ideally I want to have my money back in three years, but if it's four years, then that's a great investment. Um, just with everything that goes along with that. Um, typically like if, that would be an opportunity I'll even go as far as new properties that we're acquiring that would like doing a build like that. I see that as risk because we're also thinking, Hey, there's an opportunity for garages, but we don't know for sure. So that's almost a new right. venture. So I would be like, all right, phrase one will be, let's go in. We see that there's an opportunity for, if we update the kitchens based off, you know, we can, we should be able to update this. If we spend 5,000 bucks on a new kitchen, we should be able to add, you know, say a hundred bucks to the rent times however many units we have a great return. That's very little risk for us. We're adding, uh, you know, the kitchen probably needs updated anyways. And we know that we can get those, that market rent, you know, where it needs to be. Yep. Um, so I, that's even less risk in my opinion, the girl, you know, doing a build out and research and all that would be like, a after we stabilize the rents and we think that there's uh, some additional upside. And I'd yeah, probably at that, yeah, at that point, I'd probably even go to the tenants and I would pre-lease potential garages. Oh yeah. I mean, sure. that's very smart. Mitigate the risk is what you're doing yeah. there. That's yeah. huge. And, and something that you said that I like is you said, well, if we can put $5,000 into the kitchen each unit and raise the rent by a hundred dollars, let's do the math there. A hundred additional dollars of rent is 1200 per year you hit that basically 25% ROI, including your property's a little bit better. You're not going to have to maintain those cabinets as much because those cabinets aren't going to last longer. You've added value to the property and you've also added NOI because you're adding income, you know? 
So mm -hmm. that's great. I love that. I love that value add approach. When you're purchasing these properties, when you're looking at the numbers, you're underwriting the deal, are you looking at cap rate, IRR, cash on cash return, debt service ratio? What are those numbers that you're really looking at first that are standing out to you? Yeah, um, I mean, probably the three big indicators that we look at on everyone is cash on cash return, IRR, and then our equity multiple. Okay. Um, and then I always take cap rate with a grain of salt. Um, I think that yeah. everyone, I mean, that's what the industry, what everyone uses, but I mean, I'll go to brokers and they say everything's trading at a six and a half cap. And then the other broker says everything's trading at an eight cap. So it's kind of like relative. It doesn't really dictate your returns unless you're buying cash and no one is in this market. Yeah. yeah in these exactly. markets. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I take the cap rate with a grain of salt. It's just a quick metric, I guess. But the debt service is a big one for us because that tells us how, how well we're going to be able to cash flow, you know, and really helps me prepare also like how much we have left over for the, you know, oh shit moment. Um, yeah. So debt services is a big one that I'm always looking at. Um, and then I also look at every investment rather than a monthly basis. I look at it on a yearly basis. Yeah, uh, annually. I'm in, I'm in every investment for, you know, five, 10 years. Okay. Yeah, that's great. So we'll break down those numbers real quick. So you're saying cash, cash return, IRR, and I'm sorry, I didn't catch that third one. Equity multiple. Equity multiple. Okay. Let's, uh, let's just break down those three real quick. We won't go too into depth. So cash and cash return. I mean, what are you typically looking for before you add value that you're purchasing properties at? Obviously it differs. Yeah. yeah. Double digits. You know, okay. I gotta be double digits, cash on cash. Uh, IRR, I want to be at uh, 15%. And then equity multiple, I want to be at uh, a 3x uh, before the value add. Okay. And the equity multiple, people in here that are listening, they're saying, okay, well, I know what cash and cash return is because obviously it's going to protect my returns with debt on the property. My RRR, okay, it's something I don't have to worry about because I'm not using investors. But what about that last one? I mean, what would you answer that measures for you? That's, that's the most important one. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, uh, in my opinion, like, Hey, if I put a hundred thousand dollars to this property and I hold it for five years and I get $300,000 out, that's all that matters to me. Yeah. Um, so ultimately we're in real estate as an investment. So, and everyone wants to know if I get what, whatever, if I put this much in, what am I going to get out? Like what's in it for me? So I think the equity multiplier is so important, not, not just for me, but from as an investor, if I wasn't even the operator in the deal, that would be the big, uh, you know, indicator for me. Cause I don't know many other investments where you can be in a property for, or be an investment for five years and, you know, triple or quadruple your money. Yeah, no, I, it's great. You, you can't beat the returns here. I was just talking to a guest I had in the show for self-directed IRAs and kind of talking about that. And we were just basically putting stocks, ETFs, index funds against real estate. And it's just like, it's a win-win every time. I mean, you just, there, there's really no competition or comparison, but that's for another day. Yeah, exactly. uh, so that's, that's awesome that what you're talking about with these properties, talk to me a little about, and I know it's kind of off the other side of the edge here, your, your Instagram, the, the massive growth you've seen. I mean, you've got over 30,000 followers on there. You, you're teaching with your real estate university course. Talk to us a little bit about what you're offering on that side of things and how you've built such an audience. Yeah. So, um, it kind of, uh, came at the beginning of the year where, uh, you know, I had a lot of people actually coming to me, um, saying, Hey, how are you, how do you have all, all this real estate already? And, you know, at that time I was 27. I was like, I don't know. I mean, I, what I was doing, I thought naive of me, I thought was kind of common sense. 
but it may have just come natural for me. So uh, beginning of the year, I was like, hey, I think what I, whatever I'm doing, I just want to put this into a course. I want to teach other people because everyone, uh, everyone thinks 401k and IRA is the way to, you know, their future. And I'm like, I don't even, I'm getting rid of all that. Like real estate's the future. Uh, I always tell like my, you know, my mom and dad, their way to get, be, become a millionaire and be able to retire was that route. You know, our, us millennials, younger crowd, like that, that side is dead. You know, yep. real estate is the new IRA and 401k for our generation. So, yeah. um, so yeah, I launched my, uh, Instagram and just started talking about my story, trying to do, uh, you know, small little lessons of teaching people. So I launched my Instagram and a course uh, called Real Estate University. Um, so right now it's focused on just helping uh, beginners or people that want to get their second or first, second or third property um, and get into the game. So it's really the foundations and what to look for and make a sound investment. And then um, we're also working on actually uh, uh, coming out with a future course that's focused on multifamily. That's great. Yeah. And I mean, you're very active on that right before this, you're doing a live Q and a now, have you seen any capital that you've been able to raise from that social media presence or has it been more purely educational standpoint? It was originally educational, but uh, actually uh, one thing that I do with all my real estate university students, uh, I actually allow them to co-invest with me in, in my funds and I give them first opportunity so a lot of uh, a lot of my students actually invest in my deals now. So um, you know they've just come to find out like so when when they get to go through a course learn and they either say hey I'm gonna go buy my for my own real estate or they say hey DJ actually you know I like what he's doing let's just do his deal too. Right, so, let me sit back and enjoy the uh, the payouts there. Yeah. So I, I'm assuming you're doing five hundred six B then with these guys that you have coming on. Yeah. Okay, that's awesome. Well, uh, anything else you have to leave with us? Or are we going to switch over to this next section of the show? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, let's, let's, let's keep it running. Whatever's All next. Right. Uh, awesome. So this next section is called the Curious Cues. We ask the uh, same guests these same few questions. I'm going to fire match you and you give us your answers. Let's do it. Favorite podcast you like listening to? Oh, man. Uh, probably uh, Business Wars, actually. Oh, you like that? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. I, I like to learn uh, a lot about business uh, models, where people failed, uh, where people succeeded. That's helped kind of guide my, you know, everything that I've done up to this point. Okay, sweet. Uh, favorite book you like reading? Man, uh, probably Cashflow Quadrant was a good one, but I'll be that honest. That's a great one. I'm not a big uh, reader. I'm more of an audible guy. Like my, this, this old brain, Favorite book you've listened to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This does not retain a page very well. <laughs> yeah, no, I got you. No, that was a good one. I, I call that like part two to the Rich Dad Poor Dad books. Yeah. Um, it was like after you read that one, it's like, yeah, you, you got to go on to the next one. So that's sweet. Yeah, for sure. Uh, biggest hurdle you've had to experience in real estate, you've had to overcome in real estate, I should say. Oh, man. I mean, before my first apartment, that was a mess. Uh, probably my very first real estate deal that I did my single family residence. I mean, that was, re that was resilience. Uh, basically, you know, went to the closing table, my very first property, uh, signed the deal, all that. And then the seller didn't show up to the closing and no one said, and all, everyone looked at me and they're like, this has never happened before. We don't know what to do. Right. <laughs> was this attorney there or is that a state that doesn't use attorney to represent? 
No, I mean, like everyone was trying to call the seller. The agent that was representing the seller had no idea what was going on. She was like, hey, I'm done. I'm not selling the property. I changed my mind. And I gave him, you know, my, all my money. Like it was wow. like $3,000 at the time. That's all I had. Um, so over six months, I had to uh, send, uh, you know, personally handwritten letters to try to convince her to sell it. And uh, on Christmas Eve, actually, she uh, said, yeah, I'll sell it. And I had my title agency. We all went to her house that night on Christmas Eve. I had her sign the paperwork and I got the property. Merry Christmas to you. That's awesome. That's that, that's a good story. I like that. Uh, that's definitely a hurdle. You had to work on it. Yeah. Uh, your favorite part of investing in real estate? Man, uh, you know, I, I would say I thought it was going to be the money, but actually it's being able to bring investors and see other people, how I can help other people. We all come together and be able to do something cool that is helping people not just monetarily but also helping people stabilize their life gives them predictable income i mean and being able to bring that to someone has been by far my most enjoyable experience that's great i love that favorite non-real estate related hobby you like doing so when you're not doing your real estate gig what are you doing in your free time man yeah. So, I mean, so I still, so I quit my W2 job about a year ago, but I, I love startups. So I still do a lot of uh, marketing and sales consulting for uh, okay. startup VC companies. Um, that's just a true passion of mine, being able to help these companies grow. So I love doing that. That's great. All right. And newbie advice. I mean, someone that's looking to get started or someone that's, you know, started and just kind of hit a wall and they want to scale more. What are you, you going to tell them? Man, uh, they're, so many people are thinking and talking about what they want to do in real estate and with their life. And not enough people are actually taking action, you know, willing to be uncomfortable doing something new. So if you're thinking about getting into real estate, doing that business, whatever it is, quit thinking about it, quit talking about it, just do it. You're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes, but you're going to learn so much and be well, way better off on the other side. So just get started. No, that's good. All right. And you kind of answered this question earlier on, but I'm going to ask to see what we get out of you. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Man, um, I, I hope you guys see me uh, all over the place and I can be helping, you know, thousands of uh, like-minded people that are investing with me and, and we can build a huge uh, syndication business that's providing value and money to all kinds of families. That's great. That's awesome. DJ, I love that. Now, DJ, where can someone get connected with you? Where can they find out more about you? Where can they take your course? Or where can they just call out at you and say what's going on? Yeah, so easiest way to find me is probably on Instagram. It's uh, DJ Hume Official. Um, if you want to take my course or look into it, it's realestateuniuni.com. Um, or you can uh, just start uh, my YouTube. That's DJ Hume Official. Or on Facebook, DJ Hume Official. So any channel there, I try to be omnipresent. And I also try to be as available and respond to any DMs that I get. So feel free to hit me up anywhere. Awesome. DJ, well, thank you so much for your time this evening. I appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for listening. We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. For more information or to connect with Dante, visit victorycapgroup.com. See you next week.